Good morning. It's good to be back. I missed two Sundays in a row, and I just feel out of whack. (laughs) Lift your hearts to the Lord. Father, we just thank you so much today for your presence. We thank you for your goodness, your mercy, and your kindness towards us. And we ask you this morning to enlarge our hearts, Lord. Increase us. Enable us to really love you and to love our neighbors as ourselves. Father, bless the word today, cause it to bring increase in our lives. Bless the pastor and give him strength in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Claude. Um, This week, we're continuing through our study through the book of Ephesians. Um, We've been working on Ephesians, it seems like maybe 10, 15 weeks, something like that. Um, And the, the central question at the beginning of Ephesians is the question of who are you? And the first three chapters of Ephesians are heavy doctrine. It's Paul, the Apostle Paul, writing a letter to the Ephesians and to all the other churches in Asia Minor. And he's telling them, this is who you are. You're chosen. You're called. You're a child of God. You're an heir of of God. And he's explaining to us who we are. Then in three chapters at the end, he says, here's how you live out who you are. Here's what you do as a result of who you are. So we're calling this sermon the invisible boss. Because what he does in this sermon, is ama- in this, in this uh, passage that we're going to read, is amazing. He basically says, there is a world in which you operate. And that is the physical world that you can touch and see and feel. There is a world beyond the world in which you operate. And whether you know it or not, you're actually operating in that world as well. But you're operating in that world by operating in this world. The way you treat people in this world has effects in the other world, the greater world, the infinite world, the eternal world. And uh, he talks a lot about work and 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 how we are to work. So that's why we're calling this the invisible boss. And I'll get into it in a minute. But um, we were in Brooklyn this last um, last weekend, last week, this week, whatever it was, Monday. And uh, and there was a uh, preacher there that came and gave a sermon and um, he, he called his sermon that um, the name of his sermon was Living for More Than Likes. Living for More Than Likes. And what he was talking about was he said there was this moment where, you know, he has an Instagram uh, account. Do you have, anybody have an Instagram account? Okay, I don't have one, so somebody teach me about Instagram. Suppos- supposedly I'm supposed to have one. But, um, So he had this Instagram account, and apparently you can post pictures on your Instagram account, and then people can either like or not like your Instagram picture. And so what you do is, you know, you're supposed to just take a picture. Here I am at the grocery store or whatever, post it, and people go, oh, yeah, that's that's a good picture. So he said that what what he found himself doing one time, he was getting ready for church. He was preparing a sermon, and so he had a couple books around him, and he was kind of looking scholarly. And he thought, you know what, this would be a good time for me to take a picture of myself and post it because then the congregation will say, wow, you know, here's our pastor and he's really studying hard, right? So he does. He takes the picture. But before he uploads it, he looks at it. And there weren't enough books around to make it look really scholarly. It kind of looked like he might have just been flipping through a couple books. So he said he went to his bookshelf and he pulled down some books that were not related to the sermon that he was about to preach. He said he also pulled down some books that he had never read before and that he had no intention of ever reading. But he brought them and he piled them all around and then he took another picture of himself. And before he uploaded it, he said, what am I doing? 
Why am I trying to give an image of myself that is different and distinct from the reality of who I am? And a lot of times I think we do that. We do that in life. We are more concerned with the reality or with the reputation or with the appearance than we are with the reality of who we are and what's really going on in our life. Um, I'm going to talk about this guy a little bit more, but, uh, but uh, his name is John Robert Wooden. And he gave this great quote. He said, be more concerned with your character than your reputation because your character is what you really are while your reputation is merely what others think you are. We are what we are when no one is looking. We are what we are in the dark. We are what we are when we're with the invisible boss. Just us and him alone. And we can get sort of trapped into this idea of thinking that church is the end game, right? That like everything builds to this moment at church. But church is the rehearsal. The play is the six days from Monday to Saturday. This here is the drill. This is the practice. The game is the six days from Monday to Saturday, okay? This in here is boot camp. The battle is Monday through Saturday. When we go out there and we lead this life that Christ is calling us to, we just come here to get equipped, to get encouraged, to get inspired, to get empowered. But our real life is out there Monday through Saturday. That's what God is calling us to do. And in this passage, Paul gets really, really into this, and I, and I love it, because it's challenging. It's really challenging to all of us. Um, uh, and so why don't we just jump into the scripture, and then we're going we're gonna to kind of break it out and, and walk through it, okay? Um, Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to go through verses 1 through 9. And there's a lot here, so, you know, hold on, hold on tight. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise that it, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Bondservants, be obedient to those who are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart, as to Christ, not with eye service, as men pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ. Doing the will of God from the heart, with good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. And you masters do the same thing to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. It's a big passage, and there's a lot there. Um, before we can get into what it really means, I want to just briefly, in three minutes, give you a little, a little, you know, sub part of what it does not mean, okay? Um, because as 21st century readers, we're looking at this language, bond servant, slave, master, and we may be tempted to reflect on the kind that, we may think that this passage that the Apostle Paul or that the Christian faith is somehow condoning slavery uh, or condoning the kind of slavery that was the, the deplorable actions that were, that were uh, legal, legalized in the United States in the 18th and 19th century. Let me just clear that out of the way so we can think clearly about what this means. In fact, um, in the 18th and 19th century, pro-slavery 
advocates and slaveholders would use passages like this to say that the scripture actually affirmed and, and confirmed and, and condoned their actions. The scripture does not condone that type of action whatsoever. In the first century in Rome, what Paul is talking about here, uh, the, the, in, the, in that culture, there was no safety net. There was no governmental safety net for if, if you were, you know, if you didn't have a job. And so what people would do is that poorer people or people that were, you know, struggling to have a job would sometimes bond themselves to someone who was more affluent. They would bond themselves to a family for a period of time. And that period would usually end around the age of 30. Sometimes there would be a, a seven-year bonding period. And so you would, you would join a family, essentially. You would work for them. You would have room. You would have board. board. You would get you know, opportunities for education. You would learn a trade. And then when you got to be about 30, then you would move on to something else. It wasn't a great job. It wasn't a great life. But it was absolutely not at all like what we saw here, you know, a couple hundred years ago. Okay, so I just want to clear that up. Not that anybody's thinking that, but the scripture absolutely condemns the kind of conduct that was that, you know, when we see the word slavery, I just don't want that to throw you. Okay, Um, in fact, in the the Old Testament, when in a passage that's talking about slavery, it says that if a man in Exodus, it says if a man kidnaps another man, he is to be put to death. So the kind of slavery that was that was enacted here where people would go and they would kidnap families and those would have been those slaveholders would have been subjected to death under God's law. All right. So I just want to be clear about that. Right. So now we can move on to what it's really talking about. It's talking about work, how we are to conduct ourselves in work. Does that is that clear to everyone? God is a God of freedom. He's a God of equality. He's a God of liberty. He's a God that is not partial to anyone, whether you're Jew or Gentile, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, male, female. We're all one in Christ Jesus. All right? Um, So he's talking about work. And the first point I want to make, I want to draw out of this, is that Paul is saying that work is a divine calling. Now, some of us think of calling, you can go ahead and put that slide up, Michelle. Some of us think of calling as, um, you know, only the kind of calling that's called to vocational ministry. Somebody who says, yeah, I'm called to be a pastor, I'm called to be a preacher. And that is a particular kind of calling, but that's no, that's not the only calling, all right? Everything that we are called, everything that we do, all the work that we do, God, and through this passage, is saying, You're called to do this as unto the Lord. No matter how menial the task is, no matter how boring it is, you may be sitting in a cubicle going, what does this have to do with the Lord, okay? Paul is saying, your service in that institution, in that employ, is actually service to God. There's your boss, and then there's the invisible boss. There's a boss behind your boss, And you're actually working for that boss. You're not working for the boss that you see. You're working for the boss that you don't see. Okay? Um, And and he kind of, Jesus talks about this too. When he says, when he teaches us to pray, and he says, give us this day our daily bread. Right? We pray that. But we, I don't know about you, but I have never had a slice of bread magically appear on my plate upon praying that prayer. It's just never happened. It's not, that, it's not that God isn't answering the prayer. He just doesn't do it like that, right? 
Here's the reality of that prayer. When I was, a, when I was 14, uh, I lived right up here in North County in Bridgeton. My dad was a pastor, went to Pattonville High School. Um, any pirates? Um, doesn't matter. Um, and and I, I don't know where I got this idea, but during the, during the spring when I was 14, I thought, I'm going to mow some lawns, and I'm going to take a trip, and I wanted to go to Caldwell, Idaho, where my uncle lived, all right? So I, I started mowing lawns of the people in our church. And the great thing about being the preacher's son is that everybody says, oh, yeah, come, come mow our lawn. You know, you got a lot of lawns to mow. The downside is, since they already pay tithes, you know, they don't feel like they need to pay you that much. They're like, hey, you know what? I'm already giving in the offering, right? Your dad is covered. Um, but anyway, I made enough money during that summer to go to this little small town in Idaho called Caldwell, Idaho. And my goal of going out there is that I wanted to go out there and work in like, like, you know, in the fields and like work outside. I don't know why I thought of this. I don't know why I thought this would be a great idea. But I did. I went out. I moved in with my aunt and uncle. And I started working in Caldwell, Idaho. And my job was to buck hay. And bucking hay entails getting up at 5 o'clock in the morning and getting in your 16-year-old cousin's broken-down pinto and driving to the hay field and getting out and taking large bales of hay as a tractor goes by with a long flatbed and you walk alongside the the flatbed and you pick up 100-pound wet bales of hay and you buck them onto the trailer. That's your job for like 10 hours, all right? So about the, you know, second or third day, I'm going, what, what was I, why, why was I thinking this would be, why did I work to make money to come and do this? Um, but I didn't know it at that time. But unwittingly, I was doing exactly what Paul is talking about. Because somebody somewhere is saying, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. And me as a 14-year-old, I'm putting hay on a trailer. That trailer is going into a barn. That barn encompasses cows. The cows eat the hay. They make milk. The milk gets put into bottles. The bottles get shipped across the country. Somebody gets the bottle. And when they say, Lord, give us this day our daily bread, they've got sustenance right there, right? So you don't know always. You don't get to see the end game all the time. But we are part of answering prayer throughout the world by the way we work, all right? And you may not be able to connect the dots in your own job. You might say, look, I, I crunch numbers, and it's boring, and it has no effect, and nobody is praying, Lord, cr- you know, crunch numbers for me, right? But what God is saying is, you are serving God in your work. Everything that you do is service to Him. That's why He says, do it not as men ple- pleasers, not to eye service, but do it as unto the Lord. Let me just tell you um, a couple of the applications that I think this, this brings to us. Um, well, first, I'll t- I told you that I was going to tell you about Wooden. This John Robert Wooden. He was one of the greatest basketball coaches of all time. Uh, he died just a few years ago. He, as the head coach of UCLA, he won 10 NCAA national championships in a 12-year period. He won seven in a row. Within this period, his teams won a record 88 consecutive games. He was named National Coach of the Year six times in a row. This guy was amazing, right? He had all of the accolades, all of the reputation, all of the greatness that you could heap upon a guy. Listen to this quote, and this is the, this is the quote I sort of referenced earlier. He said, the true test of a man's character is what he does 
when no one is watching. He knew that all of the stuff that you do that is visible is fine. But what really matters is what you do that is invisible to everyone but God. He had another great quote. He was a very faithful Christian, and he said, If I were ever prosecuted for my religion, I truly hope there would be enough evidence to convict me. I love that quote. Because he understood that what we're doing in the quietness, in the stillness, when no one is looking, that's what we're doing as unto the Lord. When the boss isn't there to say, hey, you know, I want you to do more, you know, give me that memo, right? You're doing it because you're doing it as unto the Lord. Let me give you a couple quick applications uh, to this. Number one is, I think what Paul is getting at here is that we should always do our very best. We should always do our very best. Um, and and by, by doing our best, what I, what I mean is, I mean, this isn't like a rah-rah inspirational speech. But what, what we're doing is we're saying, you know, if, if, if there's something that's being asked of you and you're kind of wanting to just sort of blow it off or not really do it or whatever, think about the fact that you're actually doing it for him. He's the one that you're doing it for. Not the person that you may not like, that boss that you may not enjoy, that, you know, colleague that may get under your nerves. Don't see past that person and see, see the real boss. So always do your best. Number two, exceed expectations. This is a big one, and, I, and I'm going to give you some of the results of this, but exceed expectations. You know, Jesus said when a, when a Roman soldier asks you to carry a shield for a mile, carry it two miles. Take it further than what's asked of you. Because what you're doing is you're reflecting what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And what it means to be a follower of Jesus is that you're going full out with passion, with love, with integrity. You're doing things that you're not even asked to do because God wants you to do them. Because you're doing it for him. Number three is, and this is sort of a, um, a phrase that I would hear over in England all the time. But number three is mind the gap. What does that mean? In England they have these, these subways. And when the subway train pulls up to the train platform, there's a little gap between the platform and the subway train. And so this voice comes on. It's the Siri of the British Metro. And she says, mind the gap. I can't do the accent. But she says, mind the gap. Mind the gap. And what she's saying is, watch out for that, that spot right between the train and the platform. Don't fall in there. What I want to say is this. As workers, as people who work, as bosses, as employees, whatever role you have in your own company... Mind the gap in the sense that when you see something that needs to be addressed, address it. And we see this here in, in our church. There are people here in this church who will say, like, I don't know what everything that's going on. But they'll say, you know what, there's something messed up that's not getting done out there in the lobby. Or there's something, you know, backstage that's, that needs to be addressed. And they'll just step up and they'll just take care of it. Because they're, they're, they're doing it not, and nobody may know. But they're doing it because they're doing it as unto the Lord. So mind the gap in all that you do. Is, is this making sense? All right, good. Because it was making sense to me this week when I was writing it down. I'm not... Um, let me just give you quickly the results. The results of this is that, number one, it's absolutely liberating. When you are serving God instead of serving men, men do not control you. Your job situation doesn't control you. 
because you are serving someone greater than your job. All right? You are serving a boss that is greater than your boss. And so that situation no longer controls every aspect of your life. So it's absolutely freeing. It's absolutely liberating. Number two is, it turns out that it's highly beneficial to you. Because when you work to please your heavenly boss, your earthly boss is going to go, what is going on? This guy is amazing. This woman is incredible. And pretty soon, other earthly bosses will be saying, hey, I would like that person to work for me. Right? Because you will develop a reputation of someone who is going above and beyond what is expected of you. So it's absolutely liberating and it's absolutely empowering. And we're called to do it. To go further than we've ever been asked to go, you know, even in our current job, in our current, in our current um, career. Um, okay, so that's the number one point that, that he was talking about. Number two, as he starts talking about family. He starts talking, he's talking about work and then he talks about family. And he says that every Christian parent is a pastor to their children. This is huge. This is absolutely huge. I am, um, uh, you know, Rebecca was, was gone for a few days and, and in Brooklyn for this music conference. And so it was just Jameson, Lincoln, and I. And what I learned um, in those three days is all of the stuff that goes on that I didn't really know went on. You know, I get up, give the boys a hug, put, you know, my, their, my hand on their head, go to work, come home, Hey, guys, rough house a little bit, and then they go to bed. Well, when Rebecca was gone, I was getting up, I was dressing them, I was feeding them, taking them to school, going to work, coming back, picking them up, and then I had them for the evening, right? And um, there were some very interesting questions that were being asked uh, when, when the boys and I were together. One question that I thought was fascinating was this. Um, Lincoln, Lincoln got really fixated on Goliath. You know, David and Goliath. They were really fixated on Goliath. And he, he wanted to know, he said, Dad, does God like Goliath? I'm like, man, that's a very deep theological question. Um, he also wanted to know whether Goliath was stronger than Superman. Which brings another uh, series of questions that rise to the front. Um, he also wanted to know why Superman wore his underwear on the outside of his clothes. I was like, I don't know, son. Um, so we're called, we're called to be more than just, you know, more than parents that just sort of get our kids, that help our kids survive. We're called to be their pastors. Um, in Ephesians 6, 4, he says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up, he says, in the training and the admonition of the Lord. Sorry, that's no, okay. Um, bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. What he's saying is train them. Lead them into to what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Not just a survivor, not just a person who gets by, but train them to be a follower of Jesus. Um, there's a very interesting um, study that was performed recently in England and they found that there is an angry, what they called an angry generation. And it's a generation of kids that lack parental discipline. And they lack it in two ways. Either the discipline that the kids are, are experiencing is so overly strict, so overly intense, so aggressive, that it actually sort of discourages them and depletes their desire to do anything. Or the parents are so distant 
and aloof that they don't give any discipline. And either way, on both ends of the spectrum, the kids are turning out to be angry, perpetually angry and aggressive and unable to focus because they're not being guided in any clear and consistent way. And Paul is concerned about that. And he says, look, fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath, but train them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Bring them up gently and lovingly and firmly in the admonition of the Lord. Make them, they're your congregation. Mom and dad, that's your little congregation. Train them up as unto the Lord. Um, There were some interesting commentaries on this passage. Uh, Andrew Lincoln, uh, his commentary said that fathers are made responsible for ensuring that they do not provoke anger in their children. This involves avoiding attitudes, words, and actions which would drive a child to angry exasperation or resentment and thus rules out excessively severe discipline, unreasonably harsh demands, abuse of authority, arbitrariness, unfairness, constant nagging and condemnation, subjecting a child to humiliation and all forms of gross insensitivity to a child's needs and sensibilities. You know, Paul was concerned about the way parents trained their children. And so he's calling all of us to remember that this child you're raising, just like the boss, this child that you're raising is not just your child. This child belongs to God. So you're in charge of training and leading and guiding a child that isn't really yours. You're doing it for him. You're raising this child for him. Um, The application here is, number one, train them in the word. Teach them the scripture. Deuteronomy, it says, you'll teach your children uh, talking of my commandments when you're sitting in your house, when you're walking by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. All the time. Let the word of God just be on your lips. When your child asks why, why are we helping that person? Because we're Christians and we're following Jesus and Jesus calls us to do this. Connect the dots for them, right? Connect the action to the commands of God. Bring it together for them, all right? Teach them in the word. Teach them in deed. James Baldwin says, children have never been very good at listening to their elders, but they have never failed to imitate them. They're going to do what you do. Um, And (laughs) sometimes that's embarrassing because you see them doing something and you go, oh yeah, I know where they learned that. They learned that from dad or mom. Let's just say mom. Um, And number three, train them in attitude. Authority, C.S. Lewis says, authority exercised with humility and obedience accepted with delight are the very lines along which our spirits live. So in our words in our deeds and in our attitudes, let's reflect the love of Christ to our kids. And I want to close with this. This is very basic, bare-bones, practical teaching for Christians. Household, family, work, relationships, you know, kids. This is just Paul saying, all right, here it is. Um, And the the final thing I want to say is that uh, every Christian child is called to honor their imperfect parents. All of us, whether we are little kids or big adults, we're called to honor our parents. We're called to honor them and respect them. Um, And there's two categories of ways that we do this. Number one, no matter where you've been in life, no matter what you've experienced, no matter how difficult or remote or challenging your parents were, you have a Christian duty and a Christian obligation to forgive them for their imperfections. 
And this is something that is deep because it, 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 it can actually suffocate people. I know people that are 50 and 60 and 70 years old and 80, I don't know, but, but that are still angry at their parents. They're still bent out of shape about something their parents did or didn't do. And Paul is saying, honor your parents despite your parents. Because doing so indicates that you understand you have a parent behind the parent. You are honoring God by honoring your parent. Your trust is in the father behind the father. Your trust is in the parent behind the parent, right? You're loving God. You're honoring God. You're respecting God by respecting your parents. Forgive them. Respect them. And then at the other end of the spectrum, those of us adults that have gotten, that are very, very close to our parents, we can honor them by, by and sometimes pulling away from them. And I don't mean emotionally withdrawing. I mean becoming independent of them. Because part of honoring your parents, part of the role of a parent is to put the child in a position where they don't, aren't completely reliant upon the parent. And as, as, you know, especially this generation, and it's hard. I mean, it's, it's financially, it's hard to get by. It's hard to, but part of honoring our parents is to take that step. Some of us younger, I say us younger, some of you younger uh, Christians, to step out and to really and to really start to look after yourself, rely upon God, and not strictly rely upon your family. So what is the key to all this? What is the key to becoming an empowering Christian parent, an honoring Christian child, an effective Christian employer, a productive Christian boss? The key is to shift your trust, your identity, your love, your affection to the invisible God. To see beyond the circumstances of this life, and see the, the reality that exists just beyond the veil. And I'll end with this. There's a concept in the law called piercing the corporate veil. And this phrase is used when there is a parent company and then there's a subsidiary company. And the parent company may own the subsidiary company, but they're distinct companies. And under the law, they will not be treated as the same company unless... This subsidiary company, this smaller company, is strictly acting on behalf of the parent company. And then the law will pierce the corporate veil and they'll treat the subsidiary and the parent as the same. I want to encourage each and every one of us. We're in this physical reality that we can see and touch and smell, right? But there's a greater reality that embodies us and surrounds us. Pierce through that veil in your life and realize that what you're doing here is what you're doing there. Serving people here. Jesus said, inasmuch as you have done it unto the very least of your brothers or sisters, you're doing it to me. Jesus, when did we visit you in jail? When did we give you a drink of water? When did we feed you? When did we clothe you? And he said, inasmuch as you've done it unto the least of your brothers, you've done it unto me. I just want to encourage each and every one of us today, take this Take this exhortation from Paul. Take this, these teachings from Paul and say, I want to live as if I'm living unto God. Because you are. You're parenting as unto God. Your relationship with your teachers 
is as unto God. Your relationship with your friends is as unto God. Your relationship with your kids, your wife, everyone that you encounter is as unto God. And walking around with that very present reality is not easy to do. In fact, in my accountability group, one of the guys said, how many of you would sin in front of God in ways that you wouldn't sin in front of anyone else? <laughs> and everyone said, uh, yeah, all of us, right? Because we, it's hard for us in this physical world to remember that we're actually on the big stage in front of God. We're part of his story right now. You, each and every one of you, and this leads us back to the, the first three chapters. He says, you are a part of my story. You are playing a vital role in my story, God says. Walk it out. Live it out. Together. And when you stumble, and when you fall, we get back up, we encourage, we strengthen each other, and we live out our life for the invisible boss. Amen? Amen. You can stay seated. Let's just close our eyes. Heavenly Father, thank you for this message. It's a challenging, practical, difficult uh, message. But God, we, we want to see it as an encouragement. We want to hear this message, Lord, as an encouragement, as a liberation for us, a way to walk through life and to really grasp that everything we're doing here is a reflection of a reality far beyond here. We don't have just a five or ten year plan, Lord. We have an eternal plan. We have an infinite plan, God, and we want to be a part of your plan. We want to live out our lives, God, in a way that pleases you and that glorifies you, God. Give us strength today, God. Give us strength with one another. Give us strength, Lord God, individually, that when we're alone in that quiet moment all by ourselves, we can take a deep breath and we can reach out to you and we can say, God, you're here with us. Holy Spirit, be with us. Strengthen us today. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.